11 through 13 is where we will be this evening. Look with me, please. Jude verse 11 is where we will begin our reading. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Within verse 11, we've seen for the last several weeks that Jude pronounces this woe when he says, woe unto them. And again, this is an interjection, of course, and it's used to emphasize the, the terror and, and the travesty of, of, what he, of that of which he speaks. And he, of course, is speaking of those in verse 4. And again, this is something very interesting in Jude. I think we must be conscious throughout our study as we've come thus far and will continue that all of these examples and illustrations that are mentioned after verse 4, all in relation to these wicked men in verse 4, all of them. And so these are men who pervert the grace of God. They turn it into lasciviousness or or licentiousness or, again, license to sin or freedom to sin. And they deny the Lord Jesus Christ, deny God the Father. And and so this is a very serious uh, accusation which Jude brings forth, of which they are guilty, obviously. And so then he begins to explain all the, he uses many examples, illustrations historically and as well uh, illustrations uh, in a figurative sense to uh, convey the, the truth, to explain further the actions and the character or lack of character and the lack of spiritual life within these men who are mentioned in verse 4. We saw in verse 11 he mentions, of course, the way of Cain. And just again, briefly to remind you, Cain rejected God's provision in an attempt to approach God his own way, rejecting God's provision or provided way. Uh, The error of Balaam, Balaam deceived God's people and tempted them to sin for his own selfish gain. And then Kor attempted to undermine God's authority, which resulted in his utter destruction, of course, in the rebellion of Kor. So within verses 12 and 13, Jude used five illustrations as we've begun to study over the past several weeks to expose both the error and the end of such wicked men. He began by speaking of spots in your feast of charity. And again, this is in relation to their disrespect of God's church. When I say God's church, we're talking about the body of Christ, the people of God. In verse 12, he says at the beginning of the verse, these are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. These wicked men infiltrated the church in an attempt to taint or pervert the purpose for which the church gathered. Again, remember the purpose of these feast of charity or these love feasts was to manifest the love of Christ to one another in the unity of the redemption that they had received in Jesus Christ. Yet these wicked men attempted to deceive these with whom they gathered by their false teaching, which of course is enticing to the flesh, or they used enticement of the flesh to persuade them. In 2 Peter 2.18, Peter speaks in a very very parallel passage concerning these men as well. He says, For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. So here he's saying that they, these, these are wicked men who use vanity, it's emptiness, but then they appeal to the flesh. They allure through the lusts of the flesh. They will use fleshly means 
to deceive people spiritually. And you don't have to think very, very long or hard to just imagine some of this going on today. And it goes on on different scales and levels, but yet all in the world there is a, a, a group of people, a certain people who will attempt to appeal to the flesh by the so-called prosperity gospel even. And, and, you know, if you do this and God will do this and you just give to me and God will give to you more. And, and it's, it's, it's heresy, of course, but it is, it is a horrible thing in which these men deceive by using uh, appealing things of the flesh to draw people to, to do things um, that they benefit then. They fill their own bellies. And we'll look at that and see that as, as even Paul mentions um, in, in Philippians in our morning, Sunday morning study, how that they, they feel, feel, feed their own bellies. They live in selfish manner, uh, only looking for how they can benefit. Now, the four illustrations used by Jude here that we've seen are very interesting. After having spoken of the disrespect for the Lord's body, as we just mentioned, his church, when referring to the spots or blemishes within the Feast of Charity, Jude then refers to these four illustrations. First, he says clouds, and we've looked at this already. And that, of course, refers to that which is within the sky. As we know, clouds are in the sky. We look at them. We are, we are shaded by them. Rain comes from them. And this refers, of course, to that which is between space and earth. This is like in, in that space between space and, and between the earth itself. Then he, deals, he mentions trees. Trees, of course, are in reference to that which is rooted and planted in the earth. And then you have waves, of course, which is in reference to that which is from the sea. And then you have stars, which are heavenly bodies, which it would include planets, which occupy space or the universe, the galaxies and the universe. And so what you find is you have space itself being referenced, that which is in space. Then you have the clouds, which is in the sky between space and the earth. You have the, the trees, which are rooted and grounded in the earth itself. And then you have the waves of the sea. So Jude covers about every aspect of illustration that you can possibly imagine that, of that which is known to man. Space, sky, earth, water, the waves, the sea, the oceans. And this is interesting because every aspect of creation which is known to man is used by Jude to draw an illustration to which any and, and or every man could relate. He began by speaking of these empty clouds, lacking substance. Verse 12 goes on to say, Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. And I'm not going to go through all of this again, but just to uh, briefly touch on this as we continue in our study and in, in a review and reminding you of this truth. There's three things that we really need to draw from this and, and remember. First, there's the emptiness of the clouds. They are clouds without water. Second, the empty promise that the clouds produce by virtue of their presence. There are clouds present, yet there's no water. And let me, again, just to, to contrast this for you, think of it like this. If there's no clouds in the sky, no one expects for it to rain. So not only are these, are these clouds empty themselves, but they are clouds without water. There's a presence of the cloud, which is a, a hope or a promise of potentially there being rain, but yet these clouds do not produce. Then there's the instability of the cloud, carried about of wind. So it's just, it's just blown about. There's no substance there. It just goes as the wind directs it. Then there was the unfruitful trees. Now this, of course, is dealing with that which is unproductive. He goes on to say in verse 12, Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. There are four statements which you'd made in this illustration of the trees. One, their fruit withereth. 
And we can find reference to this in, to this in Matthew 7, 15 through 18, and Mark 4, 5 through 6. And of course, we're reminded that bad trees produce bad or corrupt fruit. Then they are without fruit, he says. Mark 4, 7 addresses this. And while they may appear to have the ability to be spiritually productive, this alludes again somewhat to the clouds. The clouds are present, and it would provide some false sense of hope that there would be rain, but yet no rain comes. And here, this is the same situation. They are without fruit, meaning, of course, they could appear as though they would be capable of producing fruit, that they possibly could be spiritually productive, yet there is no spiritual fruit produced from them because there is no spiritual life within them. Then they are twice dead, as I just mentioned. The tree not only is unable to bear fruit, but it is also dead and withering away from within itself. That's why it can't bear the fruit, because there's no life-producing elements to cause the fruit to be produced and grow. One will either, as I've said to you many times, one will either be born twice and die once, or one will be born once and and die twice. Revelation 20, 12 through 15 references that. Then fourth, they are plucked up. A tree that is dried up will often be pulled up by the roots and then cast into fire to be burned. Scripture references this on more than one occasion. And the Gospels refer to this concerning the wicked in Matthew 15, 10 through 13, Matthew 3, 10, and Matthew 7, 18 through 20. So tonight we continue this study by our examination of verse 13. He says, Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. As I've already mentioned, Jude uses these five illustrations in which he describes the men who pervert God's grace into a provision for their sin and for other sin. Within this verse, we find the last two of the five illustrations that Jude uses in this portion of the text. Now, he begins to speak of wild waves. Verse 13 says, raging waves of the sea. Wild waves is what he's referencing foaming out their own shame. This is dealing with their, that they are unrestrained or their unrestraint. This description is one depicting both the untamed nature of the wicked, but also the shame of their wicked actions, which are a result or direct result of their wicked and untamed or unrestrained nature. Isaiah prophesied of such wicked men in a very similar manner. In Isaiah 57, 20 and 21, we read, But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. The waves of the sea do not produce mire and dirt, but they do stir up the mire and dirt which lies beneath, and so are the wicked. The untamed, sinful actions of the wicked stir up the depths of the depraved nature of the unregenerate man. We must never forget this, and this is so clearly taught to us in Scripture, and we'll reference this in just a moment, that when men are left to themselves, they simply continue to manifest just how wicked they really are. The progression of the manifestation of such wickedness is explained in Paul's epistle of Romans. In Romans 1, 21-32, after Paul has already explained that man is without excuse as creation itself testifies of the Creator, Paul then said, Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. 
Now let's stop for a moment again. And we've read and referenced these verses many times. Even I believe in Jude we have, in Philippians we have, and we will again tonight because it's just has to be said because of what Jude is saying about this untamed wave, this raging wave, this wild wave, this unrestrained wave as he gives this illustration. And notice again when it says they knew God, they glorified him not as God. You have to remember what, what Paul had just previously, that creation testifies that there is the creator. Psalms tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day in a day utter speech, not and not... Uh, uh, Earth knowledge, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. What is he saying? He's saying man is without excuse. The creation itself testifies that there is a creator who created. And when it says they knew God, he's not saying they had a relationship with God, but they knew that there was a God. They know that there's a God, yet they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but came vain. What is this saying? That creation, remember this too. Creation itself will never regenerate one soul. It testifies of the truth of the Creator, but it is the gospel. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Redeemer. And while creation testifies of God's presence and God's glory, men will never come to saving faith because of creation. And so we see here he says that these men, rather than acknowledging God and glorifying Him, what do they do? They become more so vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts are darkened. They're already dark, but they just continue to darken more and more. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause, gave them, God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use of, into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge... God gave them over to reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness. Listen to what he's saying here. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Here you find the progressive decline and destructive nature of man when he's left to himself. Now notice something. They know there's a God. They do not glorify him as God. Then what happens? They do not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now they want to even refute his existence, if you will. Now they say, I won't even acknowledge that he is. Not only will I not glorify him for who he is, I refuse to acknowledge him or that he even is. And what does it say? God gives them over to reprobate mind. Why? Because they do not like to retain God in their knowledge. But then verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, 
point is that when God does not intervene, divinely intervene, we see that man will inevitably self-destruct because of the wicked heart which is within him. This passage is the essence of the picture of man left to himself unbridled, untamed, and unregenerate. As the waves foam due to their wild and violent nature. Think about the waves at the beach. You know, we live here right by the beach. So you go to the, I know, think of this for a moment. And, and even Isaiah mentions a troubled sea, remember? So he's talking about when there's a storm and it's just tumultuous, if you will. And I, I love to go to the beach when there's a hurricane. That's like the only time I ever go to the beach other than walking at night, maybe, but with Kelly. But as far as the beach goes, when the storm's coming in or just has passed by, I, will lo- I love to go out there and just watch the, the waves and watch the, uh, you, what a destructive force that is. But here's what's interesting about it. Even in those storms, as violent as they may be, isn't it interesting that the waves have a barrier, They can only come so far for so long before they head right back out. And even when you're looking after a storm such as the hurricane, and and it's still, you know, the tail end of it passing by, if you will, and waves out there, the white caps are everywhere, and it's just wave crashing into wave, almost from seemingly different directions they are coming and, and just obviously just crashing into one another, then into the into the the sand and the beach itself. But yet, all of that power, all of that violence that is present, there's no one who can go out there and tame that. But yet, even then, as it's crashing in, there is a boundary. There's a boundary that is set. So these wave, these wild waves, these raging waves of the, such as these men, think of it in that respect. A troubled sea, a troubled ocean, the crashing in of the waves, they are just causing so much turmoil. And, and when that happens, of course, what happens to the bottom of the ocean? The sand, is, it, now it's getting stirred up. It's getting brought up. It's getting brought onto the land now. That which was settled out there somewhere out in the deep, now it's coming in onto the shore. Now, the, the ocean doesn't produce that. It's just manifesting what was underneath. And it starts to stir it up and bring it out. That is the illustration here. Man, in his wicked imaginations, he's not, he's not inventing sin. He's just manifesting all that wickedness that is present and lies underneath. And as the waves foam due to their wild and violent nature, again, there's white caps everywhere. Why? Because it's, it's restless. It's troubled. So also the unregenerate man will spew the shame of his wicked heart by his wicked actions. Then Jude says, they are as drifting stars. What does this mean? Well, without purpose and direction. Verse 13 goes on to say, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now, the, the adjective wandering means error and deceit. So they, are, they are deceitful stars. And, and the word stars here, you have to understand, in the translation, of course, 
This could include any or all heavenly bodies, which could be planets. And if you think about this for a moment, when you think of, of biblical days, if the heavenly bodies specifically, including planets, were to veer off course, then one would not be able to provide a true guide to those who charted them for direction. If, as you are aware, no doubt, there have been days in the past which there was no iPhone and there was no GPS on your iPhone. I remember years back, we talked to our kids sometimes about this, and they vaguely remember some of this. We used to have to go, and I'm talking, I know some of you will go back further than this, of course. We used to have to go on the computer and punch in address we were leaving from, address we're going to, and then print out MapQuest. <laughs> and there was no voice saying, turn here. <laughs> you had to follow it. And then, of course, I've used map books before in which I'm finding street addresses and such. But you have to remember, when you're out there on the ocean, there's no street signs anywhere and no red lights. And so they would chart courses, of course, largely based upon the heavens themselves. And if there are wandering planets without direction or wandering stars, that which, which they would chart by, if the planets are the stars themselves, which, of course, being stationary, the stars and orbiting planets, if either or were not where they were supposed to be as recorded through time and handed on to others, then that would totally disrupt all navigational skill and understanding. And again, wandering means deceit and error. So these wandering stars are deceitful in their instruction. They are deceitful in their teaching. So these wandering stars are drifting planets which veered off course or the, of their orbit or, or were not where they were supposed to be, whether some have referred to it as well as shooting stars, if you will, which you know actually is not a star at all anyway. A shooting star is not actually a ball of gas. <laughs> but yet, nonetheless, it, it's a wandering, the heavenly bodies that are not where they are intentionally positioned to be and they're not where they can be used for navigation, then this deceitfulness that is associated with this. So if they veered, if they were not where they were supposed to be veering off course, then it would provide unreliable direction for those who look to them for navigation. These wicked men were as such stars or heavenly bodies. They were men who not only personally lacked direction and purpose, but they also misguided all those who looked to them or who depended on them for direction and purpose. Remember, Peter spoke of them as well. We mentioned last week in concluding our study how that Peter mentions, and again, in a parallel passage to this of Jude, how that these men are, are preaching, if you will, freedom while they themselves are in bondage. That's a misguided, a, 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 a deceitful and misguided attempt to deceive and misguide others.
And surely there is no lacking of such men today. Paul warned on several occasions, including his letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 11, 12 through 15, we read, But what I do, that I will do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion. So he's saying, that I, I, I do this so that I'm preventing opportunity for those who are looking for opportunity, that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we. So he's saying, they are looking for opportunity to glory in something other than Christ, other than redemption. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming, the, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Again, here, here Paul is saying that these men transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are appearing, presenting themselves as though they are apostles of Jesus Christ, as though they are ministers of righteousness. Hear me. I've said this so many times to you. Just because something is spiritual does not mean it's of God. <laughs> and don't forget that. It's also significant as we conclude our study this evening to take note of the fact that Jude immediately reminds us, and what's more is that Jude associates such men who mislead, misguide, and pervert the gospel message of Christ with God's eternal judgment. Look at the last statement he makes here in verse 13. To whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever? We must remember that all of these examples and illustrations which Jude uses to serve or uses in this account or in this passage serve two primary purposes. First of all, Jude is pointing out the seriousness of the false teachers who deceive others by perverting the grace of God and using grace as a license or freedom to sin. And second, Jude is also exhorting and reminding believers to not only hold to the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that is contained in the, therein, which he mentions in verse 3, the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, but to also not only hold to this, but to also faithfully guard and defend the purity of the gospel. Again, Jude, verses 3 and 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Notice he doesn't simply say you should earnestly hold to the faith. You should earnestly live in the faith. Though all that is true, but you should earnestly contend. He's not saying simply hold to this, but we must guard, protect, and propagate, proclaim the truth of the gospel. And then he gives the reason why. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jude has given us quite an illustration here in these examples of the nature and the end of such men. And we need to recognize and be aware of two things. First of all, it is necessary to contend for the faith, to hold the faith. But why? Well, first of all, because we want to uh, defend the purity of the gospel and the purity of the message of Christ. But also understanding, if we fail to do so, then we become potential prey for those who do pervert the gospel. <laughs> Look, there is not one of us here that is beyond 
being deceived when left to our own wisdom and left to our own understanding. Let us never forget that. So the reason to earnestly contend for the faith is twofold as individuals. First, we must earnestly contend for the faith that we ourselves be rooted and grounded in the faith that we not be deceived. And as Paul said concerning the gifts of the of the Lord to the church, apostles, teachers, pastors, so on and so forth, that you be not tossed about by every wind of doctrine, that you're rooted and grounded. That's the reason he's saying it. But then also, number two, we must be aware of those who are attempting to deceive others, and we not only must be rooted and grounded ourselves and hold to the faith, but we also must propagate, proclaim, defend the faith in the sense that we are guarding the purity of the gospel that others not be, as we propagate the gospel in a pure manner, that others not be deceived and misled either. Contending for the faith is a very serious matter. We've seen that throughout the study thus far, and it it will always be. And we are to give ourselves to the gospel. We are to give ourselves to Christ and the purity of the gospel. And recognize again that many there be who turn themselves into the apostles of Christ. Many there be who appear as angels of light. Many there be who appear to be ministers of righteousness. But if you are not rooted and grounded yourself in the truth of the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you are prey, potentially, of those who do such. This is not something that is peripheral for the church. This is primary for the church. But then we as well who hold the truth of God's word and understand the gospel and are committed to the gospel, the good news of Christ, not just, not just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, all there is about Jesus in the word of God, all who he is and what he has done and who God is and how he's provided for us in his son. We as well are to be the ones propagating. We are the ambassadors of Christ. Let us do so willingly and thankfully and being committed to the truth and purity of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you again for the...